Hello, and welcome to Sobercast. We provide AA speaker meetings and workshops in a podcast format. We are an ad-free podcast, and if you enjoy listening, please help us be self-supporting by visiting Sobercast.com, look for the donate link, and drop a dollar two into the virtual basket. Also, if you're a member of NA or have friends that are, please tell them about our other podcast, NAPOD. NAPOD features NA speakers and workshops in the same format as Sobercast. We upload a new speaker every day, and it's easy to subscribe by searching for NAPOD, N-A-P-O-D, all one word, on any podcast player app, or go to NAPOD.XYZ if you'd like to listen online. Hope you enjoy the podcast and have a great day. step four this week and uh tonight's speaker is a good friend of mine uh dave and uh, everybody welcome dave hi everyone my name is david grateful recovered alcoholic um I um, used to get nervous before I spoke because when I come up to the podium, I really didn't have that much to say, right? And uh, as time has evolved, I've, I've uh, done some work with my sponsor and with guys that I sponsor, and I ha- have had the experience of having a little more to say. And I, I was still nervous when I came up to the uh, the podium to speak, and, and uh, I attributed it to you know ego, and I tried to to let God speak through me, and, and uh, the more work I did, the more that I found that God would speak through me, and I still got nervous coming up to the podium. And I'll tell you something, it came to me just recently why that is. And for me, it's because it's the absolute majesty of the blessing that I've been given in this program of Alcoholics Anonymous, right? And I come up here and I want to do the absolute best job I can, and a lot of times that requires me just to get out of my own way, right? And... You know, I'm celebrating seven years today. Thank you, but nobody called me. You know, that's annoying, right? No one remembered it was my anniversary. And I'm not going to bring that up to people either. No, let's see what they do. <laughs> and um, I'm going to carry that for a while. I'm going to carry that. I'll do some inventory on that later on. But... Um, Um, The truth be told, you know, it's an absolutely amazing thing that has occurred coming into the rooms of Alcoholics Anonymous, being introduced to a program, right? It's a real simple program, Trust God, Clean House, and Help Others. You know, I ran into a guy, I want to say it was uh, February maybe of this year, and this is a guy who knew me when I was out there. And I mean, when I say out there, I'm not talking about like on the edge. I mean, I'm beyond the edge, right? And he knew me. And he was like, because he grew up in my neighborhood. You know, I have two parts to my story. One is I came in in 85, separated from, from drugs and alcohol. And then I had 17 years in the, mostly in the program. But then I started to, I never worked the steps. You know, I never got free. So what happened was for me is I, I ended up drinking again, right? Um, but he knew me like in 82 and 83 when the wheels were off, you know, where that, you know, that back 
Axel was creating sparks in my life, you know, and, and I would do stuff and things would, things would happen, and, and I didn't know why, you know, the period between when I would do stuff, right, got shorter and shorter and shorter until the entire time that I was awake, I was doing stuff and getting in trouble, and um, he asked me to work with him, right, so we'd gone all the way through to the A-step cars and, and nine-step amends. And he's out there doing nine-step amends, and he only has a few left, right? And this, is the, and this is what gets me, is the absolute gift, right? I get a chance to watch somebody who I harmed get free, right? And the freedom doesn't come from showing up and, 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 and you know, getting here at 7.31 and leaving at, you know, 8.31, right? The freedom comes from getting here and actually going, oh, this is a 12-step program. Like, those are the things I have to do, right? And asking somebody to take you through the steps. I didn't do that the first time around, and I suffered for it. You know, but it's part of my story, and I wouldn't change anything whatsoever now because my story is my greatest gift, right? The fact that I went through all those things and, and I eventually recovered. My hope tonight um, is to simply tell the truth, uh, as it has been in my life, and to simply give you the message that I've been given. Uh, there are two aspects to what I, I want to talk about uh, tonight. Um, one is how the, the four-step unfolds in the book, right? Now, my first sponsor did not take me through a four-step exactly as it was in the book. My second sponsor fired me, then died, before I actually did any work with him. And my third sponsor I've actually done uh, a four-step with twice, Right? And neither, none of those have actually been the exact same thing. Right? Each, step, each time I've done a four-step, it has been completely different. Uh, in 85, I, I went to sit down and do a four-step with, with an attorney. Try not to make that mistake. Right? Anybody an attorney here? <laughs> Sorry. Right? But this guy had me writing. Like, I wrote like 20 pages. Right? And he said, go back and write some more. And I went back and wrote 20 more pages. He goes, go back and write some more. Right? I got up to about 100 pages. And he goes, go back and write some more. I'm like, screw you. I'm out of here. Now, it wasn't his fault that I didn't finish the steps. It wasn't his fault that I didn't do a fifth step. Right? But I really didn't have anything else to say, and I didn't know how to interact socially with anybody else. So I was just like, well, I'm not calling that guy anymore. The second time I attempted the four-step was in 2004, and that was with uh, a fellow who was half my age, and, and he had been taken through the steps in a very methodical way, and it was, it was really good because he didn't deviate from that with me, right? And in the fourth step, he essentially said, this is what I want you to do, right? And I said, okay. I said, how long do I have? And he said, how long do you need? And I said, six weeks. He goes, you got six weeks? Right? That's it. That's all you got. You set the date, you show up with the work. I said, okay, fine. And he also, had, he also did something out of the book. Uh, he did something that was not out of the book also, which was the seven deadly sins. Right? Has anybody here done a seven deadly sins inventory or a review? Right, one hand, two hands, three hands, four hands. Some people, right? That stuff rocked my world when I actually did that work, right? which was actually the second full time through the four-step. Because it helped me uncover a lot of things. The first time through the four-step with me, I came into these rooms really out of desperation. I came in here because my wife wanted a divorce, 
and I hadn't been drinking. I, had, I was two years as a dry alcoholic. You ever come across a dry alcoholic, right? They're flammable, right? They're angry. They're irritable and discontent, you know? Well, the funny thing is that the beautiful, the beautiful part about that for me was that I realized alcohol was not my problem, right? Alcohol was not the problem. It was me. And I came in here fully willing the, the second time around in, in 04, right, to actually do this work because I wasn't drinking and no one wanted to hang out with me. My kids didn't like me. My wife surely didn't like me. My employees didn't like me. I didn't like me. It was like everyone was in agreement. Dave's a rotten person. And, um, you know, I was going to finish the steps. I was going to make my amends. I was going to do all the work. And, and the amends were like a mile down the road as far as I was concerned. But I also knew intuitively that the reality of the situation was I was one of those constitutionally incapable people. I was one of those defective units that would never get this. Right? I was absolutely positive that what I was going to do, that she was going to divorce me, the kids would never talk to me again, I would have no money left, and I'd drive to the top of the Driscoll Bridge and jump off. Right? This is my plan in AA. Right? That's the best I can come up with left to my own devices. Totally sober, totally separated from alcohol, and want to end my life. Not a great way to do it. Right? Um, so the second time through... Um, with my third sponsor, uh, he asked me to print out, um, oh, I can't remember the name of it, for the seven deadly sins. Karen, help me. No idea. Oh, Hayes has been evil. Sorry. Um, anyway, it's, an, it's a document that's from like the 20s or the 30s, and it talks about all the different sins and how they manifest in our lives. And it has like 20 or 30 questions for each one. How does, you know, are you a member of the Communist Party? You know, are you a non-God-fearing person? And I'm like, whoa, right? And I remember, I finished it at the workshop in Parsippany, right? That was 11 pages, you know, on uh, this, I mean, small handwriting, too, on the seven deadly sins alone. And, uh, you know, this stuff uncovers. And each trip through, this, through the fourth step, for me, has uncovered new things. The last, I want to say I've actually been through the, the fourth step four times. The last two times I actually did the, 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 the four-step, I was going through it and Bill showed up to do a workshop in Westfield and I ended up going through the four-step again with Bill before I actually got a chance to go find my sponsor and, may, and do my fifth step with him because he was moving back and forth from North Carolina and we just could never get the time together. Um, so it was really kind of an interesting process. So I have experience with doing the book. Right? And I have experience with doing some stuff that's slightly outside of the book. Right? So I'm going to give you my experience, and hopefully it's going to be my truth. Right? When, I, when I work with somebody nowadays, I have, a, I have a routine. I have a model. And I've seen it work, and I've probably listened to about five, I mean, about ten fist steps um, from guys who were working with me. Uh, I've probably maybe listened to a few more than that, but probably listened to ten fist steps of which every single one of those guys who has gone through and made nine-step amends is still around today, right? No, it's not my doing. I didn't, nothing special about me, right? Um, so we're going to start just kind of touching on some stuff in the, in the, in the big book. Uh, we're going to start on page 63, the very last paragraph. And this is after we have, uh, we've gone through um, the third step. Right? Now, for me, getting, getting done with the third step 
was difficult the first time around because the first time around, all I could figure out was I had to get out of the way. Right? That's not really a great concept of God. Right? But that was the best I could do. I would not have a solid third step right, until I got to the A step. Right? I wouldn't have a solid second step until I got to the seventh step. This is my experience. Right? When I got to the seventh step, I had to have uh, a loving and caring God in my life in order to turn my, my character defects over to. Right? And in order for me to be willing to go out and make my amends, I'm going to, have to, I'm going to have to turn my will and life over to the care of God because some of my amends were not fun. You ever have any not fun amends? Right? My wife was not going to be a fun amends. And this is what I knew before I made them. After I made them, they were all good. Right? Not all pleasant, but all good. Um, so it says, next we launched out on a course of vigorous action, the first step of which is a personal house cleaning. which many of us had never attempted. Though our decision was a vital and crucial step, it could have little, little permanent effect unless at once followed by a strenuous effort to face and be rid of the things in ourselves which had been blocking us. Now, if I turn my will and life over to the care of God, I'm going to get down and I'm going to look at this stuff by doing an inventory, and theoretically, I'm going to uncover all this stuff. Right? That's not my experience with the first time through the four-step, which is why I've had to do more than one four-step. Um, I came to the four-step full of, absolutely full of fear that I would not, I refused to recognize, right? Full of animosity, right? Full of a lot of things. But the one thing that I had done fairly successfully in the previous years is I had gotten even, right? You ever get even so you don't have a resentment? Yeah, I got him back. <laughs> no resentment there. Um, and that's how I came to this work, right? I was... I, I wanted to be free of ego, right? I wanted to be free of me. I had no idea. You can tell me the simplest possible pros, uh, process for me to get there, and I'm going to go, okay, sure. Yeah, this might work for you, but it's not going to work for me because I'm already jumping off the bridge. Um, I listened to, recently I listened to a, a talk by, I think it's Father Paul Martin. Is it Father Paul Martin or is it just Paul Martin? Anybody know? Father. Right, it's Father Paul Martin. This guy blew me away in this one talk. And I'm listening to him, and he said something that clarified for me why, I, why inventory has been different for me each and every time I've done it. Okay? He talked about, he was talking about psychiatrists at the time and depression. And he says, you know, there's a, there's a plane, right, that we're all on. And when we do things below the plane, right, we will then fight to keep that out of the vision of other people. And we will then, and that energy that we take to keep our secrets will lead us into depression. And I started to realize exactly what my fourth step was. I have this moral plane. Now, my moral plane may not be the same thing, same thing as your moral plane. I mean, I used to be a career criminal. Now I work on Wall Street. You know, I don't know what your moral plane looks like. Mine's probably a little, you know, has a little dips and curves in it. But I don't know. I... Um, I had all this stuff that was, I had dropped below the moral plane, like, like holding a rubber duck under the water in a lake, you know? It's not going to, I got to take all that energy to hold that rubber duck under the lake. And I come in, and I don't want to recognize those rubber ducks, right? I don't want to think about those rubber ducks. I've spent my entire life not talking about those rubber ducks, right? I mean... At 90 days in 1985, when most people are coming to get a chip, I'm out shooting heroin, right, on my, for my 90th day anniversary, right? And I come back to a meeting the next day and say, 
I have day, I'm Dave and I have 91 days because I didn't want to share that. I didn't want to be a loser in AA. Right? And I had that little rubber duck beneath the service. Right? And there was stuff that I had done, right, that I, I thought was reprehensible. Right? That was on my, it, it ended up being on my force. Stuff that I would spend all this time holding beneath the surface. Now, what happens for me is I come into the rooms in 2004, and about two or three months into the rooms, I'm catching the fever from you guys, right? And I'm not doing that stuff anymore. So I don't have new stuff to hold under the surface. So I'm living above the surface, or I'm living on the surface. And what happens is I start to do nice things for other people, right? And all of a sudden I'm living above the surface because I'm doing selfless things occasionally, and only because people have told me that this is what we have to do. I can more quickly act my way into right thinking than think my way into right acting, right? So go out and do your thing, Dave. Go out and help the newcomer. Go out and do something nice for somebody. And all of a sudden I'm living above the plane at times, and I'm on that pink cloud. Well, that pink cloud is freedom for me, right? It's a connection to God. I had all these things that I needed to identify and to... Uh, and to bring out and to look at, right? I didn't do some of the stuff that I did in my, uh, that ended up on my inventory because I was a bad person. I did these things mostly out of fear, right? When I got done with my, my inventory, when I drilled down and I looked at everything that was there, it was all fear-based, right? Uh, the affairs, uh, the, the uh, manipulation of employees, you know, uh, the stuff that I had done. I had done stuff just to be cool when I was a teenager, right? That I wouldn't want anyone to ever do, right? But I was afraid of not fitting in, so I would do these things to fit in with the group. Now, I would ratchet my groups down, by the way. You know, I wouldn't be hanging out with the, uh, the people who had gone on to Harvard or something, you know. I'm working my way down from the, from the, uh, the people who, you know, are, are cutting school to the people who aren't going to school to the people who could care less about school, right? And I'm working my way through those people. And I'm trying to fit in with each and every one of those. My inventory doesn't necessarily get me closer to God the first time through, right? I have a different approach to it the second time through. I have a different approach to it the third time through. Each time I've gone through the fourth step, I've been closer to God going into it and then I get closer to God. But the first time, it took me until I had my fifth, sixth, and seventh step experiences in order to get closer to God. The step itself didn't get me there. And that's because I had resistance. I knew that I, I, knew that I was going to be different from you guys and that it wasn't going to work for me. So I didn't really have this kind of um, belief in it. I was just doing it out of, out of hope that somehow this would be different. I had heard in the fifth step that uh, provided that we hold nothing back, uh, the damned of emotions of years would burst, per, burst forth. Um, but I wasn't really holding out hope for that because I was still jumping off that bridge from going through the mechanics. This book assumes that I've taken a solid third step. Right? He provided what we needed if we kept close to him and performed his work well. Right? This is a promise. No, oh, I'm sorry, wrong page. Um, page 64. 
Take, second paragraph. Taking commercial inventory is a fact-finding and fact-facing process. It is an effort to discover the truth about the stock and trade. Uh, one object is to disclose damaged or unsaleable goods to get rid of them promptly and without regret. And I have to tell you something. When I read that, I thought that was a stupid thing to say. Right? Because I had spent years in therapy and they'd never asked me to get rid of those things. They'd always asked me to look at those things and, what, and how they were caused by other people. Right? Now, I've got to take a look at my character defects, right? which is what we're talking about here, right? Uh, I've got to look at the things that have separated me from God, or that separated me from uh, you, because once I start holding those rubber ducks under the surface, I'm not telling you the truth anymore, right? I'm not living in the here and now. I'm trying to always create a, um, you know, uh, an area that kind of cordons off all those lies and all those, those things that I did that I know are dirty and keeps me from being uh, normal with you. We did exactly the same thing with our lives. We took stock honestly. First, we searched out the flaws in our makeup which caused our failure. Our failure for what? Right? Where did I fail? Well, I got disconnected with God very early on. Right? And when I got disconnected with God, I didn't even know I was getting disconnected with God. It didn't happen because of alcohol. Alcohol happened because I got disconnected with God. I was 11 years old when I started to not believe in God. Right? When I started to think that things were different. Right? That I was somehow different. Uh, I didn't drink until I was 12. It was an occurrence that occurred after I got disconnected with God. My failure was to have a connection with God. And the book goes on to talk about resentments as the number one offender. And it says it destroys more alcoholics than anything. From it stems all forms of spiritual disease. Uh, for we have been not only mentally and physically ill, we have been spiritually sick. When a spiritual malady is overcome... We straighten out mentally and physically. In dealing with resentments, we set them on paper. That's a direct instruction to me. I'm going to sit down and I'm going to write out my resentments. Now remember, I come in the first time with no resentments. Right? I've gotten even. Right? So I'm forcing myself to write down people that I might have resentments against. Right? I'm forcing myself to come up with this stuff. And I'm feeling blank about it. And literally, I would go and I would sit down, because it says put you know, pen to paper, and, and I would sit down with my, my special book and my special pen and with my special fountain pen ink and, and um, try to figure out where I had a resentment. And it would never come to me, right? But, and I'd, I would throw the book aside, and I, would be, I had this really nice like, leather diary that I was going to write all this stuff down in. Right? I was going to make it the special four-step, right? I mean, I had Googled four-step software, you know, and there, are, there really isn't any. Um, but what happens is I go to a diner after a meeting, and I, and I buy a new guy a cup of coffee, and we sit there and we start talking, and it comes upon me. Because all of a sudden, he sparks something in me. I'm in a connection with him, and all of a sudden, I, I realize what are, where I have a resentment. So I take the, the placemat at the diner, and I flip it over, and I start writing stuff down, Right? Um, I could be somewhere talking to somebody on the phone, but as long as I was making a connection with one of you people in these rooms and I was doing the work, right, trying to be of service, making, you know, whatever the case might be, as long as I was doing that, the stuff would start to bubble to the top, right? I had something come up, I want to say it was two months ago. I suddenly remembered, because I... I was working with a guy who used to live in Kenilworth, right? And he mentioned a guy. He goes, did you know so-and-so? And I said, yeah, I, I knew so-and-so. In fact, I knew him so well, I stole $2,200 from him. And this was like 1982. I go, oh, crap, I owe an amends, right? And I, can, I had forgotten about that guy. 
Uh, the stuff seems to come up for me when I'm doing one-on-one -on -one connection work in AA. It doesn't come to me when I'm thinking, right? Thinking's always been my problem. And the great thing about this particular paragraph is it talks about the spiritual malady. And it has been my experience that when the spiritual malady is removed, there's no chance that liquor will return. Absolutely none. Right? Period. And that's been my personal experience. I've had the, the uncomfortable situation where I was at a uh, Japanese hibachi table one time and, and, you know, the guy's making this stuff and a flaming volcano and my kids are going, yay! And, and he goes, open your mouth. And I open my mouth and he squirts sake in my mouth. Right? But it doesn't set off the phenomenon of craving. It doesn't make me want to drink. Right? I spit it out in my napkin and I go, oh, good. Something to talk about at meetings. You know? <laughs> the spiritual malady is the thing that, that separates me and then alcohol becomes the only solution. So I love, the, um, I love when they get into right into the, uh, the three-column portion of the four-column inventory on page 65. And one of my favorite T-shirts, well, so they asked us to make three columns, right? It says, I'm resentful at, right? And you list the person you're resentful at, the cause, right? These are not, right, short stories for Reader's Digest. This is a line or two, Right? Why am I pissed at so-and-so? Well, you know, they, you know, told me I wasn't working hard enough. Right? Not, well, let me tell you about this. Right? It's, I was, told me I wasn't working hard enough. And the third column is, affects my what? You know, sex relations, self-esteem, uh, sex relations again, self-esteem. And one of my favorite t-shirts of all time, right? Because in the book, it talks about Mr. Brown, right? His attention to my wife. Told my wife of my mistress. Brown may get my job at the office. My favorite t-shirt of all time is Mr. Brown needs an ass beating. <laughs> I saw it at a convention one time. I thought, that's a great shirt. I got to get one of those. But uh, it's true, right? The guy needs a whooping. Um, it doesn't ask me to get into any depth. It asks me to talk about the problem. One sentence. What's the problem? He told my wife. Whatever, right? What does it affect? Now, I had to take each one of these effects, right? And I had to look at those because there's a root cause for these. The book talks about removing stuff root and branch, right? You ever read that part of the book? It says root and branch. I was like, that sounds very dogmatic. You know, I'll never get there. You know, let me just talk about my problems, right? But it turns out that that's actually true in my life. I've got to remove the root problem. And my root problem is not self-esteem and fear, right? What is that? Well, I take that and I go, look, at what is my self-esteem issue? Well, my self-esteem issue goes back to the fact that, you know, I really remember that all the other kids had a mother and father growing up. And, you know, when I went to school, I was one of only two divorced kids in the 60s and in my elementary school. And I was being raised by my grandfather. And, and, you know, I just had all these things that I had populated my mind with. My life was good, by the way, as a kid. Nothing that my, my parents did or did not do, nothing that anybody who raised me did or did, or did not do, ever made me an alcoholic. Because if, if that was the truth, I'd go back and set those things right and be done, right? Problem was that those things started to bother me, right? Why did they bother me? Because I was disconnected with God, and I started to honestly believe that I was not the same as you guys, that I wasn't due the wonderful, you know, gift of life, you know? I didn't think that at 11, right? But that's the way I felt, and I looked at the, the, the self-esteem fear drills down for me, and I look at my fear, and it turns out that I am afraid 
that I am not good enough in every aspect of my life. I go look at every single fear that I uncover in this, goes down to I'm afraid that I'm not good enough, and that that for me is a lack of faith and a lack of connection with God. Right? And that's what it comes down to for me. I can look at, well, why did you want to date ten women? Right? When, whatever. Right? So, the issue was, if I dated ten women, well, then I would, um, you know, be a man. Right? Because I was certainly afraid that I was not a man. Right? Why did you seek money so aggressively? Right? Well, if I had money, that would prove that I had worth. Right? So I could go have worth, because if I have worth, then that disproves the fact that I kind of know deep down inside that I'm not good enough. So the book asks us to write down these three columns initially, uh, and I've got to write down, just on a, a base level, what it is that has that uh, um, got ticked off when Mr. Brown said what he said. It talks about on the bottom of the page that we went back through our lives, nothing counted but thoroughness and honesty. And I will tell you that my experience was I could get only a certain level of honesty the first time through. I will do more four steps in my life, right? I am willing to and I want to sit down and do more inventory. I actually have an inventory call with a guy that I sponsor in California tomorrow night. We're doing a, a three legacies inventory. You ever do a three legacies inventory? Where you are in the, in the program of Alcoholics Anonymous, where you are in your recovery, where you are in service, Right? I have to do this stuff, right? Because a nightly review doesn't catch everything, right? I'll tell you what happens with me. You take a big ship and you put it in the ocean and you tell the captain, steer towards the sun. Every day, just steer towards the sun and you'll get to Japan. Captain wakes up, he steers towards the sun, right? That's the, that's the four step, right? What's the 10 step do? Oh, by the way, yesterday the winds were out of the north at 15 miles an hour. You have to steer one degree to the right of the sun, Right? Because you've drifted 15 miles south or 30 miles south. And that's what my, my, my nightly review does, is it catches those little minor course corrections, but a real inventory sets me on the path. In the book, it talks about going back through my entire life. And I did the best I could to go back, and I was as thorough and honest as I possibly could. 66, second paragraph, first full paragraph. It is plain that a life which includes deep resentment leads only to futility, futility and unhappiness. To the precise extent that we permit these, do we squander the hours that might have been worthwhile? Now, I'll tell you when I permit these things, okay? I permit these things when my ego has taken hold, right? When I let my ego reemerge, I lose my first step, and I'm in charge again. You do not want to be on a vessel that Dave's in charge of. They've hit a lot of rocky shores over the years. But with the alcoholic whose hope is the maintenance and growth of a spiritual experience, this business of resentment is infinitely grave. Now that's a warning. I mean, how much, how much more... Is, significant of a warning do I need to realize that I've got to get free of myself, I've got to get free of these character defects. I've got to let go of those rubber ducks and let them pop to the surface, right? It's infinitely grave. Well, I'm reading the book the first time through and I'm telling you something. Oh, it was written in 1939 by, by a bunch of old people. You know, it's not well written. What does it mean? 
And I'll just do the inventory the best I can. I found that it is infinitely grave. Because what happens is I go through and I do the four-step once, right? And I rest on my laurels. And a couple of years go by and I'm suddenly wondering why meetings aren't doing it for me anymore. I'm suddenly wondering why you people are all getting mean again, right? And the answer lies inside of me, right? That I've got new things that are being exposed to me that I don't want to deal with because my, my response is, well, I've done a four-step already, right? I one of the greatest gifts I ever got was my second sponsor fired me. The most spiritual man that I had ever met, at least up until that point. I was sitting in a meeting. I had a couple of months sober, a couple of months back, and I was talking about, character, I was talking about self-pity, right? And it was a, it was a, it was a, uh, a hot day. Um, we're all sitting around in a church like this, but it was a noontime meeting, so it was about as hot as you get. And this guy was about five foot two, 120 pounds. He'd had uh, brain cancer, testicular cancer, and lung cancer. His wife had died. He was a truck driver, right? And I'm talking about self-pity. When I'm done talking, right, he leans forward and looks at me and goes, there is no room in a grateful heart for self-pity. And then he leans back. I was like, Whoa! because I couldn't figure out how that was wrong, right? I asked him to, to sponsor me after my first sponsor stopped calling me back. I then didn't follow through and do the work, and he fired me. One of the greatest gifts he gave me was firing me, because I then said, you know what, I really need to get active, right? And then I, and then I took my time to, to choose my third sponsor carefully, and then I set out to do the work with him for the second time at that point. So... If we were to live, and we had to be free of anger. The grouch and the brainstorm were not for us, right? They may be the dubious luxury of normal men, but for alcoholics, these things are poison. So what do we do? If those things are poison, they're going to kill us. We turn back to the list, for it held the key to the future. Well, that's pretty strong stuff. Um, I'm going to turn back to my list, this, all these crumpled napkins from, from diners and placemats and stuff, and, and, and do what? I'm going to look for what my role was, right? These people typically, the average human being, when, you know, does not lash out at me for any reason whatsoever, right? The, the 87-year-old woman driving the Cadillac with the blue hair is not doing 35 on the turnpike just to get back at me, right? You know, the guy who wants to write a check for an $11 grocery tab while in the express aisle with 14 items and not 12 is not trying to lash out at me and, and fix my little red wagon, right? But I see these things when I'm spiritually unfit as being an attack upon me. The market goes down 10% in a week, right? They're not attacking my retirement, right? No one is attacking me, right? These things used to bother me, right? These things used to drive me nuts. So I've got to go back to the list. I've got to find out what happened. Why, why does Mr. Brown tell my wife? Why does he want my job? What have I done wrong? Referring to our, this is on 67, referring to our list again, putting out our minds the wrongs other had done, we resoundingly looked for our own mistakes. Where have we been selfish, dishonest, self-seeking, and frightened? Well, that's why I had to look at my fears, right? Because almost everything that I do is based upon a fear reaction, right? We're designed as human beings to fight or flight, right? But for me, for some reason, as an alcoholic, I'm based in fear. I'm going to fight every time as I'm running away, right? I mean, 
the stuff just eats at me, right? If I can't identify it and be free of it. Where were we to blame? The inventory was ours, not the other man's. When we saw our faults, we listed them. We placed that them before us in black and white. We admitted our wrongs honestly and we're willing to set these matters straight. And you know, that's the, that was the, you know, I really wanted to make nine-step amends when I was doing my four-step inventory. And um, I just wanted to get through it. Because I, I had, I had 19 years from the first time I was introduced to the steps, that I hadn't done them. And it almost killed me. I'd almost died sober, right? And the best I could do was to muddle through, because that's the best I could do. Notice that the word fear is bracketed alongside the difficulties with Mr. Brown, Mrs. Jones, the employer, and the wife. This short word somehow touches about every aspect of our lives. It is an evil and corroding thread. I've got to tell you something. It ran my life for years. Next page, we reviewed our, on 68, we reviewed our fears thoroughly. We put them on paper, even though we had no resentment in connection with them. We asked ourselves why we, we had them. Now, my first sponsor did not have me do a fear inventory. My current sponsor did not have me do a fear inventory, right? That does not mean that I did not look at my fears with my sponsor, right? In both cases, I looked at my fears with my sponsor, um, and what I do with guys now, and here's where I deviate from the book, and I don't suggest that anybody deviate from the book, right? But here's what I do with the guys that I sponsor now, is I say, listen, let's do, let's do our resentment list, right? Let's do our sex inventory. Let's do our harms inventory, right? And we're going to sit down, and I'm going to share with you my fifth step, right? And you're going to share with me your fifth step, right? And we're going to identify the driving forces in the, in, in the root problem in our lives, right? And it's through that process that I sit down and I go through fears, Right? And we start to put these things on paper together. The book constantly refers in the fourth step to, to God. And uh, the third paragraph says, We never apologize to anyone for depending upon our Creator. Uh, we can laugh at those who think spiritually, spirituality the way of weakness. Paradoxically, is the way of strength. I, had, I struggled for the first couple of years um, between like 04 and 06 or 07 um, with the concept of God in my life. And I told you that I got to the seventh step. I had to actually go back and revisit my second step because it wasn't complete for me. Right, the second step when I, when I got to the seventh step was um, basically that I, I came to believe that I couldn't do it. Right? And that's an insufficient God for a guy like me. It's an insufficient God for a guy like me who has a lot of character defects that I want to turn over. Right? Going through a second and third time, um, I've had a much stronger understanding and a much clearer and concise understanding of God and I found myself speaking to somebody about four months ago, and we were having a conversation about God. And we were having a conversation about the four-step, and we were having a conversation about God. And I found myself talking about God like he was my best friend, right? That God was, was with me all the time. And I suddenly realized that for myself, I actually believed that, 
right? Now, that's a massive change for me. I actually believed that God was with me and that God would never let me go and that everything that had occurred had occurred for the best, which is really bizarre because I've got to tell you something. That's not how I thought. For years, I thought that I just didn't control that situation perfectly. If I had, it would have turned out better, right? I now find myself losing opportunities, right? Well, hey, listen, you know, why don't we do this? And, well, no, it's not going to work out. I go, okay, right? You ever just go, okay, it's okay? And it turns out that there's a better opportunity around the corner, right? Or that opportunity, there may not be a better opportunity around the corner, but that opportunity blows up, right? And everybody goes down the drain with that opportunity. That was not a very good opportunity. God has taken care of me from, from every moment that I've entered this program. And, every, and that's why I finally believe that every aspect of my, my story up until this very moment is a gift that I, that I have to give. The verdict of the ages is that faith means courage. All men of faith have courage. They trust their God. They never apologize for God. Instead, we let him demonstrate through us what he can do. We ask him to remove our fear and direct our attention to what we would ha- he would have us be. At once, we commence to outgrow fear. That's a promise. At once, we commence to outgrow fear. Uh, if I can figure out, if I can look at each and every one of those fears and come up with the, with the root cause of that fear, I have a chance, right? I don't have a chance if I'm not asking God to help, me remove, help that be removed. At this point, right, I'm doing the harms with my sponsor, right? I'm doing the seven deadly sins. Now, it was very easy for me to look at my harms. That was so much easier than resentments, right? Like I told you, I got even with just about everybody, so I didn't have any resentments. So I'm looking at my harms, right? How did I harm you? Well, I had a business partner who we had a misunderstanding. And the way that Dave works it is, if we have a misunderstanding, my understanding of the situation is right, right? Sorry, you know. Um, my mother, I had made, uh, you know, I had made a lot of, I had set right a lot of things with my relationship with my mother, right? Um, I had gone out and, 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 and tried to repair everything because I had many, many years as a dry alcoholic, so I had a lot of time on my hands, right? And what I had never done, though, was I had never sat down with her and given her a heart-to-heart amends, right? And until I actually registered, you know, until I became a father, I didn't understand the harms I had bestowed upon my family, right? You know, the nights where I would not come home and nobody knew where I was. I shudder that my children will turn out like me, right? I just don't want them to have to go through that, right? But I now understand. I mean, I've taken um, my children somewhere and can't find one of them, right? You ever can't find a child for five or ten minutes? How about 15 minutes? How about 20 minutes? And I've got to tell you something. It, it drives me absolutely nuts. It just drives me absolutely nuts. I am, I am starting to construct scenarios where, you know, we're doing an amber alert. Turns out, in the case of these things have happened, 
you know, Bob and his two kids from the town were at the same fair, and they were just standing not too far from me talking, right? Or, or something had happened where it was just innocuous, right? The child wasn't even lost, right? And I start to feel and understand, right, what I put my mother through. So I go and look at my harms, right? And I have a new vision on what the world looks like because I've gotten free to a certain extent, right? Then I know that the actions that I take affect other people. And now I can look at harms in more depth, right? And with my mother, it became dramatically clear just how harmful I had been. I was toxic, right? Long-term exposure to me can cause serious health issues, right? And it's the absolute truth, right? And I never thought about it that way because I always thought about it from my point of view. So my harms list became the most important document that I actually had, right? I had a sex inventory, right? And a lot of the inventory stuff that we've talked about tonight is the exclusionary inventory, right? How am I going to find that character defect and, and rip it out and give it to God, right? Or at least let's identify it, right? But there's an inclusionary uh, process here that's also in the book, and it, and it comes when it comes to the sex ideal, right? We do our sex inventory, but we also have a sex ideal, right? So here's where I, diver I diverge from the book again, right? I ask my guys to do a sex ideal. It's a very important thing. I do, I, I've done it, right? I know exactly who I want to be today, right? Um, I also did uh, a father ideal, a son ideal, a husband ideal, an employee ideal, an employer ideal, AA member ideal, right? I listed how exactly I wanted to be in life in the different areas that were a major concern for me, right? Because I'm going to ask God. My experience with asking God to remove my shortcomings is that I felt very empty afterwards, right? And the first thing I'm going to do is replace my character defects is I'm going to ask for them back, right? I'm going to reach over and go, I, just, I didn't mean to get let go of lust so quickly. Let me just have that back, right? Greed, greed belongs over here, you know? So the second time through... Um, the fourth step, I wrote out a whole, you know, it's like massive amount of ideals, right? So I want to be an ideal husband, right? And that requires me to, when my wife says, oh, I have to walk the dogs, that's code, guys, for get up off your ass and walk the dogs, right? Oh, I have to take the garbage out. Fill in, guys, right? And I find this stuff, and I just do this stuff now, right? Doesn't matter. I could have just sat down with ice cream on the couch. I'm getting back up, right? Because I wrote an ideal out, right? If I want my wife to be a certain way, I've got to be at least that way, right? The actions I take today in my ideals, right, my ideals define me, are the, are the things that you'll find above the plane, right, above the lake. The rubber duck is above the water, right? I'm going to go out of my way. If someone says... Can you do this, Dave? The answer is always yes in AA. Right? Unless I can. Um, you know, I'm doing this big book workshop in Nosara, right? And I'm doing it with Karen. And, um, I mean, we're not presenting, but we're, we're organizing the thing. And I've got to tell you something. It's a lot of hours, right? It's a lot of hours, Right? Starting a, doing a, a, um, a workshop in Parsippany in October. It's a lot of hours. I say yes nowadays because I want my duck above the water. Right? So my harms list 
my seven deadly sins, my, my ideals, these are the things that will, will not only um, uncover for me where my character defects lie, but it will also give me a model on how to act going forward. Right? Page 69. In this way, we try to shape a sane and sound ideal for our future sex life. We subjected each relation to this test. Was it selfish or not? Right? I have spent my entire life being selfish. Right? And I will tell you, I try to be selfless today. Right? I will not claim success in that. Doesn't mean that I don't try. Right? If you look at Mother Teresa, right, how selfless do you get, right? Devotes her entire life to take care of people that I don't want to get near, right? When she was asked, uh, what's the saddest thing you've ever seen? She, she, she said, the loneliness of an alcoholic. If I want to get free, if I want to get free of Dave, right, I've got to take actions that are as, as selfless as humanly possible, I have had enough selfish actions my entire life. I don't need to do them anymore. You know, in um, the very early days of uh, Alcoholics Anonymous, you know, we, we, came, we come out of the Oxford group, right? First century Christian organization. And they had four absolutes. Absolute honesty, absolute purity, absolute unselfishness, and absolute love. Right? And those are the things that have been uncovered in a late 19th century book as the four the four attributes that separated uh, Jesus from, from mankind, right? Uh, and this is what the Oxford group did, right? They, they tried to, they, they, they aspired to these things. I can't get close to that, right? But I can try, right? Am I willing to be as absolutely honest today as I can be, right? This is what shaped the four-step process in this book, and this is what shapes my journey through that four-step process. Whatever our ideal turns out to be, we must be willing to grow toward it. Once again, willingness is there. And I have found that um, willingness is expressed in action, right? It's not expressed in, in words, right? Willingness for me is I have to go out and help somebody one way or another. It doesn't matter whether it's making a CD for them to listen to. It doesn't matter whether it's making coffee, showing up early, you know, leaving late, or, or being there to... to just listen, right? It doesn't matter. Willingness is a course of action for me, not words. We must be willing to make amends where we have done harm, providing that we do not bring about still more harm in doing so. In other words, we treat sex as we would any other problem. In meditation, we ask God what we should do with each specific matter. The right answer will come if we want it. Page 70. Suppose we fall short of the chosen ideal and stumble. Does this mean we are going to get drunk? Some people tell us so, but this is only a half-truth. It depends on us and our motives. If we are sorry for what we have done and have the honest desire to let God take us to better things, we believe we will be forgiven and will have learned our lesson. If we are not sorry and our conduct continues to harm others, we are quite sure to get drunk. We are not theorizing. These are facts out of our experience. 
and this has been my experience, right? Um, I have not, you know, I've identified all this stuff. I've done all this work, right? And I go and do my seven-step, right, a beautiful sunny day in, in, you know, April of 2005, and I come out of Trinity Church in Lower Manhattan, I've just asked God to take my seven deadly sins and all the stuff that I've come out, you know, I've uncovered in my, my four-step work. And, and you know how you successfully have done a seven-step? God has removed your shortcomings, right? God removed my shortcomings for 38 seconds until a beautiful woman in a dress walked by and lust returned, right? And I, at that moment, I really remember that moment because I thought... This is it. This is the reason why I'm not going to make it, right? This is the reason that I'm a loser. This is the right reason why the Driscoll Bridge still looks good nine months after coming back into the rooms, right? The truth of the matter is, is I was going through a psychic change, and it didn't happen overnight for me. It happened through a lot of work. And I had to do the work. Because if I didn't do the work, I was going to be trapped with me. Bottom of page 7, we've begun to learn tolerance, patience, and goodwill towards all men, even our enemies. That was a very hard thing for me. We look, for them as, we look on them as sick people. We have listed the people we have hurt by our conduct, and we're willing to straighten out the past if we can. In this book, you read again and again that faith did for us what we could not do for ourselves. We hope you are convinced now that God can remove whatever self-will has blocked you off from him. If you have already made a decision and an inventory of your grosser handicaps, and that was important for me, right? Because my first time through, the, uh, through a force that my grosser handicaps were the best I could do. The grosser handicaps were the things that were like the, the big rubber ducks beneath the surface of the water, right? The ones that you really had to hold on to. You have made a good beginning. That being so, you have swallowed and digested some big chunks of truth about yourself. Each and every time I've done an inventory, whether it be uh, kind of a spot inventory, right, uh, or I've done an actual structured four-step. I did one when Bill was uh, in Westfield, and, and each time as I identified new th- aspects of who I have been, who I am today, and has allowed me to get a place and a path and a journey with God to where I want to be, right? This is not the guy who used to walk around you know, Elizabeth, New Jersey, carrying a 38 in his back pocket, right, in 1984, just waiting for somebody to piss him off, right? This is not the guy who thought that uh, the journey over the Driscoll Bridge should end at the top, right, so I could jump off. You know, this stuff has happened because men like Bill and, and, and my sponsor Chris have taken it, and Karen, not men, Karen, but, you know, you know what I'm saying, uh, have taken the time to... Uh, to uncovered to me what their process was going through the four-step, right, and how they've gotten free. And uh, it's with that I'd like to thank you for having me, and uh, I hope this has been a good meeting.
Thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed the podcast. Sobercast is ad-free, and we'd like your help in order to keep it that way. So if you'd like to help us be self-supporting by pledging a dollar to a month, visit Sobercast.com and look for the donate links. Thank you very much.